Yeah, I um, may have spoke too soon when I said I can't mess anything up because we're starting off with a baptism today. I uh, got so excited I went back to change my clothes, I left my shoes backstage. So, uh, not trying to prove a point, just that I'm humble again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so... <laughs> Here we are at week three of the Jesus Project, and I just want to remind you all, as, as we go through this series, this is not a series for you to listen to and then think to yourself, I wish so-and-so was here to, to hear that because they really needed to hear that message. Or, you know, um, yeah, I want you to think to yourself, I'm glad that I'm here, and I'm glad that you're listening right now because it means that this message is for you. And I, and I want you to remember uh, that we are the project that Jesus is working on, okay? So as we go through the Jesus Project, yeah, it's about getting out into our community. But right here, right now, it's about allowing Jesus to work on us. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you so much for today, for uh, Justin coming forward and and being baptized. And um, I just thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for your son. And, And I thank you that he came to be with us as an example, as a friend, as Savior, and as Lord. And Lord, I pray that as we go through your word today, as we talk about accessibility, that you'll just open our hearts. You'll, we'll set aside anything that may cause us to not see or hear your word today. We'll set aside doubt. We'll set aside anger. We'll set aside work. We'll set aside Monday night football. We'll set aside all those things and, and spend this next half hour or so with you, so that when we leave here, we can go into this world and we can make a difference and we can tell people about you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like barriers. I don't like things that tell me, oop, that's far enough, because I really kind of push the limits in life. Um, I remember not too long ago, we were at the North American Christian Convention in Florida. And we're driving home. We decided we were going to drive straight home uh, as our time in Florida ended. And with, with Dylan um, and Mitzi and myself in the car, it ends up being about a 13 or 14 hour drive anyways, because we stop a lot because we're just not in a hurry. I, I learned a long time ago, I don't need to make it, you know, the cannonball run or a road race to get where I'm going. I just need to get there. And so we just kind of tooling along. We get almost home right at the Tennessee River. And the bridge is closed down to one lane because they're working on it. It's at the end of my vacation, and you guys know how that is. You're, it's a Saturday at church Sunday, got things to do. And, and here it is. We sit for like an hour and a half. And we're not that far from home, but we're at that point where there's no side road that you could take to work your way back around to 72. You're just now sitting, waiting for your turn, three or four cars at a time, to get across the bridge. And it added about an hour and a half more time for us to get home. And I was so annoyed because I was like, as it was, we were looking at getting home like at 9.30 and it ended up being closer to 11. And then you unpack the car and get everything ready. And now it's midnight and you're just going, oh, stupid barriers. I hate barriers. I'm so annoyed by barriers. All I wanted to do was get home. And a barrier, now granted it was a good barrier because they were, they were fixing the bridge. <laughs> That's a good thing. But it was a barrier, and it kept me from going where I wanted to go. You know, and I'm, I get to thinking about that, and I think that God sent his son to this earth so that life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love would be more accessible. 
God, wanting to be among us, sent his son, Emmanuel, God with us. Because to God, it's all about accessibility. You see, he has good news of great joy for all the people. Luke 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. His salvation has been prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke chapter 2, verses 30 through 32. And then in Luke 3, uh, 6, it says, God's dream has always been that all mankind will see his salvation. So my question is, why do we Christians make it so hard for lost people to find their way home? The song that was just shared this morning, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, it's by Casting Crowns. If you want to check that out on uh, YouTube, I encourage you. Uh, We share that song because, you know, as Christians, we're the ones that stray away. We're the ones that get, we lose focus. We begin to cut people down in his name. I love that verse where it talks about uh, swinging a sword that was never ours to swing. Have you ever swung that sword of judgment, maybe, or of, of decisiveness? The truth becomes so hard to see. The world is on their way to you, but they're tripping over me. Always looking around, but never looking up. I'm so double-minded. A plank-eyed saint with dirty hands and a heart divided. To God, it's about accessibility. So as we go through this today, my question I want you to think about is this. Are you a barrier? Lord, open our eyes to the world at the end of our pointing finger. Let our hearts be led by mercy. Let us reach with open hearts and open doors. And in this line, this is one of my favorites. Nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. And what if we put down signs and crossed over the lines and love like you did? Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our hearts for what breaks yours. That song is so fitting for accessibility and for the Jesus Project as a whole. This could be our second theme song. We shared a song last week. I said it could be the theme. This could be the second theme song for, for the Jesus Project. Why do we make it so hard for lost people to find their way home? Think about this from a non-Christian perspective, because really this is our approach, and it's really complicated. We want lost people to find us in the phone book or on the World Wide Web or by way of an address provided on the back of the track entitled, Where Will You Spend Eternity? that we left on the dinner table in lieu of a tip. We expect them to find our service times, follow the directions to our buildings, as noted on MapQuest.com. And then only on Sundays they show up because we're only running a program for them for three hours on Sunday morning. But why do we pick Sunday morning? Don't we realize that Sunday morning follows Saturday night? And most of the people who really need Jesus aren't sober till at least 2.30. You laugh because you did it once. They have to find an open space in our parking lot, find the right door, find the welcome center, find someone with a badge that reads, ask me, find their way to the nursery to drop off their child, find a person to help them to know how to drop off their child at the nursery, find their way back to the auditorium, find a seat in the auditorium that doesn't already belong to somebody who found it before them. Thank you very much. (laughs) Then you have (laughs) that cracked me up right there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Then we had to find someone to greet during the fellowship time and find the song and the hymnal and find the right note. Please find the right note. Uh, That was it myself because I can't sing very well. Uh, Then we have to find 
um, the sermon text in the Bible, find their way to the altar for decision time, find their way back to the seat if somebody didn't take it, find their way to the nursery, find their way to their car, out of the lot, find their way home, and then find their way all the way back to our building next week to join us in listening to the preacher's new sermon series entitled Seeking the Lost. That's what we do. (laughs) We make it difficult sometimes. You see, Christ's approach was so uncomplicated. He went out and he found lost people and he spent time with them. Luke points out, he says, Jesus found lost people in their synagogues, homes, workplaces, and spent time with them because he wanted life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love to be accessible. So he was accessible. Why, was my, why must we make it so difficult for lost people to find their way back to Christ? Why must we be so much like the Pharisees? In Luke eleven forty six, Jesus said to the Pharisees, And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. I say, well, woe to us. For doing the same thing. Woe to us for erecting man-made barriers between lost people and their Savior. And we're going to talk about a few of those barriers. One of the barriers that I think about that we, we bring up to people are dress codes. Dress codes, what you can and can't wear, what's acceptable. You know, Luke 12, 23 says, uh, God says, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. You know, I know the Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And I know that God inspired James to write in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves? And become judges with evil thoughts. Now I have to tell you, uh, one of my first ministries was at Daytona Christian Church on Derbyshire and 6th Street in Daytona Beach, Florida. And, and at another church was a fellow named Robbie O'Brien. Robbie, through the help of some of the local churches, started a church that actually meets on the beachside in Daytona Beach. And um, so, so at beachside, at this church in Florida, it's not uncommon for people to show up in bathing suits, shorts, wetsuits, flip-flops, or barefoot. I love their advertising for themselves. They say that they are real, relevant, and salty. (laughs) I think that's awesome. They're more concerned with people's eternities than they are with their wardrobes, and they're experiencing massive growth. They currently have three services that are all standing room only, unless you'd rather sit barefoot on the floor next to your surfboard, which people do. Now, I understand dress codes, 
But woe to us when we load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. Like man-made dress codes. God's dress code is extremely simple. And it's extremely accessible. It's righteousness. That's what he wants us to be clothed in. Psalm 132, 9. God inspired the psalmist to say, May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. God also inspired Isaiah in Isaiah 61, verse 10. He said, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Listen, I don't care what people wear to church. All I care about is that they're wearing righteousness when they leave. Amen? Don't say it if you don't mean it. Because somebody may show up here one day in bib overalls with no shirt on. And cowboy boots that are all taped up. And that person's going to be looking for love and we better be ready to give it to them. I don't care what you wear. But I care that we clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Another barrier that we, we place on lost, between lost people and God. Now, this may not seem like a barrier to some of you. In fact, you may think it's the exact opposite of a barrier. You may even view this as a bridge that can be used to help lost people find their way back to where they're supposed to be. I hope you do. But I also hope that we can be honest enough to see how, if we're not careful, this next item can be a huge barrier. And um, it, it can be a barrier that makes the grace of God feel inaccessible. Let me uh, help you out here. Oh, that's nice. There it is. Sometimes our building becomes a barrier. I'm not much of an artist either. <laughs> um, so we have clothing as a barrier. Our building can be a barrier. You see, church buildings, um, you know, there are different slogans that we use, and, and I don't know why we use them so much. I just can't see myself, uh, or we can't, can't help ourselves. But, you know, instead of saying something like, we need to be unified as we begin something, we say, we need to make sure we're on the same page. Or we could say, I want to improve our worship service, but instead we say, it's time to take our worship service to the next level. Or I could ask Lorna, Lorna and Andy and the praise team, I could say, hey, think creatively, but it's so much more fun to say, think outside of the box. Yeah, you see, to think outside of the boxes is to see beyond the norm and to think about something old, uh, think, think new about something old. I'd like you to think about the church and the church buildings, and I'd like you to think beyond the norm. You see, as you think about the church, and as you think about our church, this physical place we're at right now, I'd like for you to think outside the box. Because we spend a lot of money on buildings, which in reality are really very attractive and functional, but they're expensive boxes. And, and that's where our church building can become a, a barrier for what we're doing. Aaron Chambers says that one of his friends named Dave Ferguson at Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois, actually calls their main church building the yellow box. I think that's pretty refreshing because they challenge everybody to think outside the box. <laughs> See? Um, and I know a lot of dynamic churches who 
are already thinking outside of the box and, and effectively using their building to reach their world and their community for Christ. And I think we do a pretty good job of that here. But there are other churches that appear to be capable of thinking only of the box and how best to stay hidden, protected, and isolated, how to, how to take care of the box within our comfortable stained glass world while lost people are left to find other boxes someplace else. Thinking this way about the church, thinking out of the box, it's not a new concept. You see, the first Christians did it pretty well. Um, they, without the use of church buildings, they gathered in homes, they gathered in tombs, they gathered in catacombs. Any place that they could gather safely, they got together and they had church. And they made Jesus accessible. The first evidence of a house being converted to a place of worship is actually from a city discovered in modern Iraq in 1920 by British soldiers dating back to A.D. 241 to 256. There's no evidence of Christians building church buildings until the construction of the basilicas during the the reign of the Emperor Constantine in the early 4th century. So they were thinking out of the box long before it was popular to do so. They were thinking out of the box long before they had a box to think out of, I guess you could say. (laughs) The first converts to Christianity gathered not in a box, but as a body. A body is the image that God prefers for his church. Ephesians 5.23. You see, a box seems to be our preference. And this becomes problematic for several reasons. First reason is this. Boxes don't move. It's unnatural for a box to move on its own. It's unnatural for a body not to move on its own. Do you see the difference? Throughout the Bible, our faithfulness is compared to to a walk. You can write these down and look them up later. Psalms, Psalm 1-1. Our, our, our faithfulness is compared to a walk. Psalm 1-1. Colossians 3-7. Colossians 3-7. 1 John 1-7. Matter of fact, our, our faithfulness being compared to a walk was one of Christ's last commands. It was Matthew 28-19. Sum it up in one word. Say it with me. Go. Man. I caught you off guard. Sum it up in one word. Go. See, that's where we got HCC to go. See, it was from that. Go. Okay? You'll hear more about that. The church is commanded to search out and get next to lost people. Go. To make life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love more accessible. To many, the goal of their Christian walk is to get people to come where their building is sitting And have lost people sit with them on nice, comfortable seats. That's not the goal. It's go. I I don't want to celebrate when people come to our building and sit. This is what Rob Bell calls a destination mentality. A church with a destination mentality waits for everyone to come in on its terms. That's, That's not what I want. I want us to be a church with a journey mentality. I want to celebrate the steps of someone's journey. I want us to have a journey mentality. I want us to celebrate the steps. An act of service from a formerly selfish person is a reason to celebrate. A a week of resistance to a 20-year-old addiction. Let's party. Or not. Um, (laughs) You'll catch that one later. Uh, Five minutes of Bible reading. A prayer before a big decision. Wanting to know a little bit more about Jesus, checking out a small group, loving an unlovely person, all big reasons to celebrate. 
You see, a church with a journey mentality goes to people where they are and walks with them at their pace. We, we don't drag them, hey, get up here and be righteous like me. That's not what we do. We go to them, we walk with them at their pace, sharing and challenging and going with them to make sure they make it home. Second off about boxes, boxes don't grow. Have you ever found yourself late on Christmas Eve with the perfect gift, trying to fit it into the imperfect box? That box is just a little bit too small. And to be honest with you guys, we should have gone out about three days before to get the box and the gift. But for whatever reason, we didn't. And we thought, ah, there's boxes in the garage. There's plenty of paper. And then you get there and the gift is just a little bit bigger than the box. You know from experience, boxes don't grow. Knowing this truth, Rick Warren used 79 different facilities for function in in his church's first 15 years. They they met in schools, bank buildings, rec centers, theaters, restaurants, large homes, even a 2,300-seat tent. Warren said this, The shoe must never tell the foot how big it can grow. You see, healthy bodies grow. And if we're not careful, our church boxes can hinder our growth. Because boxes don't grow. Another thing you need to know about boxes is they don't last. Boxes don't last. Have you ever seen a cardboard box get wet? It's useless. Not only that, it's all going to burn. This phrase will help us to keep things like our building in proper perspective. We spend a lot of money to build our building and we, it's an excellent tool. But we don't want to forget that what we physically build is only temporary. It's not going to last. The box won't last, but the body will continue. We're not the first disciples that have had to be reminded that all buildings are temporary. One time while leaving the temple in Jerusalem, one of the disciples, who was obviously impressed with Solomon's work, exclaimed to Jesus, and this is in Mark 13, verses 1 and 2, he said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings, to which Jesus replied, Do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. I I believe that in a historical context that Jesus is referring to the destruction of the temple that was going to occur at the hand of the Romans in 70 AD. But his words accurately describe what the future ultimately holds for all great buildings. They're not going to last. Church buildings included. What we physically build will last for only a short time. But what we spiritually build will last forever. Amen? We must use our church buildings as 24-7 ministry tools while we can to help people find Jesus while they can. The next thing about boxes is this. Boxes don't care. And and (laughs) unless you're Donald Trump, you can't have a relationship with a building. Because buildings don't walk, they don't talk, they don't giggle, cry, or care. But a healthy body shows or shares both joy and pain. That's in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. You see, our buildings, unless we're careful, they can hinder our ministry. They can hinder our ministry to hurting people by distracting us from what we're here to do. Jesus touched people. He listened to them. He saw them. He mingled with them. He cared Sometimes, when, if we're honest, we get to caring too much about our building and not enough about the people that are outside of it. If we want to be like him, 
then we must get our bodies out of our box and connect with hurting people. And we need to connect with them at their point and at their place and where they are in their place of need. Look at what Jesus did in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he reads from that scroll. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. In these verses, we find Jesus making himself accessible to people. He's making himself accessible. And, and here's what he did, though. He returned to Galilee. Now, you have to remember, this is Luke chapter 4. Jesus had just recently been through a whole lot where he had fasted. And then he was tempted by Satan and all this is going on. And and I think if I was Jesus and I'd just gone through what he'd gone through, I'd have been more inclined to head off to Disney World for a vacation. But instead, at the beginning of his ministry, one of the places he heads off to is back to his hometown. He heads back home to Galilee. You see, he was raised in Nazareth, which was in the region called Galilee. The name Galilee... um, meant it was known for being the home to foreigners. It was called Galilee of the Gentile nations. Jesus called Galilee home. And he went there at the start of his ministry because he wanted the Galileans to have access to salvation. What's your Galilee? Where's the place where you understand how people think? Where you understand how they talk? Where you understand what they're going through or what they've been through? That's a good place to start sharing the gospel. You see, he taught in their synagogues. Its synagogue was a place of Jewish religious instruction. It could only be established in a town if there were at least 10 married Jewish men. Jesus went to the synagogues and he would speak for a couple of reasons. First, he went there because he could. Synagogues had the custom of allowing visiting teachers to participate in the worship service at the invitation of the leaders. Second, Jesus went to the synagogues because it allowed him to have have access to basically the epicenter of where he was. It was the epicenter of the religious thought and influence for any given city at that time. They were used as schools to teach young Jewish boys, as community centers, as courts of law. Jesus went there so that he could have access to the leaders who could get his message to the people in the community. This was the most effective method for making the gospel accessible to everyone in the community. What are the modern day equivalents to an ancient synagogue? What are our community epicenters where thought and ideas happen? Universities, school boards, city council, homeowners associations, PTO meetings or PTA meetings, depending on what school you go to. The golf course, the country club. We need to find ways to involve ourselves in these types of influential organizations so that we can share the gospel. Jesus went to Nazareth. He went back to his hometown, realizing he wouldn't be accepted. But he had to try because he wanted his townspeople to have access to the gospel. What is your Nazareth? Where is that place where people know most everything about you, good or bad? Because they watched you grow up. 
they cheered for you uh, while you were in sports or they, or they cried for you when you made mistakes or they knew your parents. They have the most reason to listen to you. They may not always accept what you're telling them, but they already know you. We need to find ways to share the gospel with the people who know us best because Jesus wanted life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love to be accessible to everybody. He died so that those things could be accessible. So are you a barrier or are you making Jesus accessible? You know, there used to be a veil. I have to tell you this. Don Dowdy sent me a text message this week and he said, hey, I've got communion meditation coming up. What's your sermon on? I replied like two words, accessibility and barriers. That was it. He was like, thanks. (laughs) Way to go all out. (laughs) He had no idea this was part of what I was preaching on, but here it is. There was a veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was made of wool. It was dyed blue, purple, and scarlet. This is from Exodus 26, 31. You can look this up so you know I'm not making it up. It enclosed the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God. Only the high priest was allowed to pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies and only on the Day of Atonement with a rope around his leg. This veil separated the Israelites from God's presence under the Old Covenant. Only the high priest could go directly into the presence of God When Jesus died on the cross, all of that changed. In Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46, the veil was torn because God wanted people to have have easier access to him. Let me read this to you. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. God wanted the people, us, to have easier access to him. And the veil was torn from top to bottom. God wanted life, help, hope, peace, joy, truth, and love to be accessible. You see, also in Hebrews we find a little bit more explanation of why the veil was torn in two. And and it says this, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. According to my translation, encourage can be one of those words that you can swap out with accessible. (laughs) Let Let us be accessible. You see, it... God doesn't like barriers. What you need to understand about barriers is they keep us away from something. But really, it's not meant to be that way because when we tear down the barrier, this is what's really behind it. And when we build up barriers, this is what we're keeping people away from. It's his. This is what he died on for us. 
we got to get rid of the barriers. Because what's more important than our comfort, what's more important than the things we like, what the people of the world need, and the people of our world need Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to go. And that's why we're on a Jesus project. Because not one of us is perfect. And we're going to make mistakes. And when we do, we're going to encourage each other. We're going to pick each other up so that we can go out into our community, into our job, into our school, into the place where we live, where we represent Jesus, and we can do it well. And we're going to come here every Sunday, and we're going to open his word, and we're going to worship, and we're going to put ourselves before him so that we can remove the barriers that keep us and everyone else away from Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. We're getting ready to sing our Decision Time song, and as we do, if you've put a barrier between yourself and God, or if you've put a barrier between someone else and God, come forward. Break down those barriers. I don't know what's holding you back from the service that you're called to, but let's leave it here. No more barriers. Make God not only accessible to you, but to everybody you know, to everybody you come in contact with. That's what accessibility is all about. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is, is for. So as you stand and sing with us, if, 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 you, need, if you want to pray, if, if you want to do like Justin did and say, you know what, I'm, I'm starting fresh today. I'll change clothes real quick. We'll baptize everybody. Whatever's on your heart. Uh, the elders are here. We'll pray with you. Um, if, if you've got questions, we'll stick around and we'll answer them. But, but don't just leave today. Leave different than how you came Will you stand and sing this song with us?